was this big event we were going to do last summer. In fact, we did. It was a one fest Christian music festival in our town. And we have a pretty big venue for these things here. But this was the first year, the inaugural year of this festival. And it's a lot of non-denominational Christians, a lot of non-Catholics who sometimes can be kind of hostile to Catholicism. And um, I thought, oh, maybe, you know, we had planned for this for months. I had actually helped the organizer of the event even bring it to our town. I had convinced our parish to, to have a presence there. And within a couple of weeks before the event, and I posted about this on my blog later, I all of a sudden just had this temptation to pull out of it. You know, why are we doing this? The Christians aren't going to like us. They're not going to listen to us anyway. I mean, kind of ridiculous in hindsight, but what kept me, what made me stay the course was my devotion to Mary, because I thought if we don't go, if we don't speak for Mary, who will? Welcome to Stories from the Street. I'm Brian. And I'm Beth. And today we have our very own Molly Bushman, who's a team leader in Wisconsin, a mother of four, full-time lawyer, part-time evangelist, but also full-time evangelist. And we're going to be talking to her about her time with St. Paul Street Evangelization, as well as how to support her own team. Beth, how, how are you doing up there? I think I've heard that there's a polar vortex up in the Midwest. Oh my gosh. Not only do we have single digits, in front of the digit is a negative sign. <laughs> it is minus two degrees outside. Oh the sun's out, but it's cold. I know. Well, I'm sitting here really nice in North Carolina. I was sitting really nice a few weeks ago when I was in Belize for our mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need to talk to Steve. Uh, that is a great place to set up headquarters. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting though. Um, you know, in this winter time, a lot of pe- a lot of our teams from up north they kind of go on. Uh, they don't evangelize as often, or they look for other places, but like maybe indoor places. But I have to tell you, I have been a part of some outdoor evangelization in this winter, and it's been amazing. And it, I mean, it's like nothing stops people that want to go out and evangelize. Well, didn't you just take an entire school of, uh, what was it, like teenage girls, right? Out on the streets in Detroit in January? Exactly. It was amazing. (laughs) An entire high school, they wanted a mission week. So we brought the girls out, 70 girls at a time, each day a different group, down to the streets of Detroit in January, in the snow. They had a great time. I mean, we didn't stay out for a long time, but they were out and we walked and we talked and we had some great experiences. The girls kind of grew in their 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 they grew in their boldness as they spoke to different people and they got to, they recognized that just being out there with the rosaries to give them to people, put Jesus in someone's day that maybe wasn't in their day before. And they were energized by that and and it affirmed their own faith. I was out with another group in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, again, in the winter, young people, they were out there going out to evangelize. So how uh, was the girl's attitude as you're taking them out to do street evangelization? Number one, two, it's January and it's freezing cold. Are they approaching this excited? Are they nervous? Are they just like, Oh my gosh, why is my school making me do this? Like how do these girls land, you know, in Detroit on the streets, you know, doing street evangelization? What was their attitude? 
You know, it was really, it was, it's kind of mixed. When they first started, they were a little bit like, I'm not sure about this and it's cold. But, um, and once we started moving, they were okay, a little hesitant at first. But I have to tell you, each, you know, we kind of went back and forth in a lap over in front of a building where people were coming out for their, for their smoke break. And they had to go out and have a cigarette. <laughs> so they'd be out there just standing, right? Yeah. And we'd go back and forth. And if they're just standing, there was someone to talk to. So each time we went back or forth, there'd be a different person. And each time the girls would get a little bolder, a little more. And by the end, every single one of the girls in my group started a conversation and prayed with uh, someone they didn't know previously, giving out a rosary or a holy card and praying for them. Every one of them did it. And so they were, like I said, at first they were shy. They weren't sure about it. But by the end, they were affirmed in their faith and affirmed in the power of just bringing Jesus out to people on the street. Wow. We talk about this all the time of can St. Paul should evangelization work for youth groups? And I think in that that context, the more we can empower our youth to not be afraid to, to share our faith, to show that we have something good and that is something that we want to be able to share with others and the, to encourage them to do that even at a young age is uh, really important. And that's why I was wondering about their attitude. Maybe at first they were really hesitant, but then as they start the conversations, it sounded like they were you know, open to yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's not about good. apologetics. Mm-hmm. It's not like I have to know everything about my faith. It's about meeting people where they are, praying with people, bringing the love of Jesus. Anyone can do that. And uh, speaking of that, we have someone uh, with us right now, Molly, one of our team leaders, uh, that's going to be sharing her own experience of doing that in Wisconsin. So she's part of this polar vortex as well. So (laughs) I'm just so grateful for Molly just to to be with us today. As I mentioned, she is um, a mother of four, a lawyer, and also a street evangelist with us. And so Molly, it's just so great to be able to have you uh, with us today. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to hear about your work with the teens. I wasn't aware of that, Beth. That's really cool. Um, I have two of my four children are teenagers, and uh, I work one of my other apostolates is in the Catholic schools. So looking at ways to engage teens and give them that sense of call to mission is awesome. So I'll probably be contacting you about that after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, We've been talking about that because we think this is such a great thing to bring to the youth. And it's like, how do we practically do this? We want to make sure they're safe uh, when they're out there. And so uh, when you have that safe environment for them to be able to go out, I, I think it's it's shown to be fruitful and the teens actually do are encouraged uh, by it. I've only heard positive experience from anyone who's done it with teens before. Yeah, we had lots of parents out there, teachers and parents out with the students. It was it was really good. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you want you have safe environment concerns and things. Mm-hmm. But um, actually, one of my team members and good friends is Michael, who is our um, Chippewa Falls Deanery Youth Ministry Coordinator. And he and I have spoken to a couple of confirmation classes. We've given a presentation to them called Your Mission, the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And kind of handed out sacramentals and prayer cards to them at the end of the presentation, you know, challenging them to share those with someone, pray about and share those with someone that they have in mind, you know. Um, So that's as far as we've taken it so far, but I think maybe this spring or summer, he would be interested in kicking off something a little more, you know, actually getting them out on the street, I think would be really fun. Um, I read at Adam Janke, I had a chapter in, Stories from the Street, the book about the teen encounter, I guess. And mm-hmm. I have always been wanting to do it. So 
So that's a great idea. Um, thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> One <Well>. more thing. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, what about yourself? How did you get involved with St. Paul Street Evangelization? So, well, speaking of Adam, Adam Janke, I guess he's what program director now. Um, well, now he's our, he's the COO. Yeah, he has many titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, program back director, in, um, regional missionary yeah. director, COO. He he does it all. <laughs> sure. So, so that was my somewhat of my entry point. Um, I had been evangelization coordinator at my parish, Holy Ghost Parish, just for a couple of months in. in um, you know, early winter, early spring of 2017. So I went to a, well, with the blessing of my pastor and with some other individuals, went to a training at our diocesan center in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, that was the basic evangelization training. So oh. Adam Janke presented that training and we did the live lab, which is sort of ambiguous on the schedule. And then it turns out you actually go out on the street and evangelize <laughs> at the end of the training. <laughs> you didn't know that was going to happen. Um, did not know that was going to happen. Like, oh, um, no. However, oh, I mean, well, the funny thing was, it was, you know, it was, oh, no, for some people. I was just like, yeah, let's do this. Um, <laughs> and, and actually, so there's, there's kind of a funny story there. because We got out there and um, and it was kind of a jury day, but it was April in Wisconsin. So it was fine. Um, but I actually got in a little bit of trouble because I did go off by myself with, with this guy named Matt that I met and we ended up walking the streets and talking for probably 20 minutes. And I was a little late getting back to the meetup point. So, um, I got in kind of trouble with Adam. So oh, he no. enjoys teasing me about that story, but <laughs> <laughs> was Matt but, one of the volunteers or he was a person on the street? He was, he was just a, a guy I met who had some questions about the face and things. Wow. So we were talking. Um, so that was fun. But, uh, but no, I was fine. They thought I might, you know, they were worried, but it was fine. But now I've learned we should be at least, you know, should at least be two people together mm-hmm. for safety reasons. So um, my zeal has been tempered by a little bit more safety concern, <laughs> I guess. Um, but so after that, uh, you know, it was a few months. I talked to my pastor about it, who's just a great guy. Um, Father Justin Kazuski is his name. And he's so supportive and has just been a force here in terms of evangelization, in both our parish and our community. So he was really supportive, but it still took a few months of prayerful discernment to decide to actually form a team. So and um, so I was praying with it. Actually, it was attending a conference at Franciscan University in July of that year that I really felt called then to follow up on the St. Paul stuff. So I approached Father Justin in August of 2017 to say, well, you know what? I really think we just need to start a team. I, you know, I don't know. I know there a lot of folks are still tentative about evangelization and don't even know what it means. I said, but I just think it's something we're called to do. We need to be faithful, follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and you know, the Lord will make us fruitful. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I love that, was, Molly. Can I just uh, say, I love that motivation. It's we need to be faithful, follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, you know, do our mission. I, I, that's a great motivation for it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, if, you know, famous last, one way I put it is, these are the Lord's famous last words. (laughs) (laughs) Go and make disciples, you shall be my witnesses. You know, we imagine a parent like pushing their child out the door and it's like, okay, well, Lord, I better listen to you. (laughs) So, um, so that is, but it takes a while to get there. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm a mother of four, as you said. It's not like I've been pounding the pavement evangelizing my whole life. It's just when you can't get ahead of the Holy Spirit, but when he's there prompting you, then you, you listen. Um, so we did. And and he had mentioned, I know the teams aren't required to have pastoral approval from their parishes. However, we agreed it would be a good idea Absolutely. if I were going to recruit if I were going to recruit team members from the parishes that their pastors would know what was going on and and it would just help with the recruitment. It would help with um, just sort of being in tune with our, our pastoral leaders here. So, so it took a little bit of time because before I recruited any members, I had to set up meetings with all the pastors in the city, which I mean, it's three. So, um, but they're busy men, you know, men of God. And, but eventually I did meet with all three of them and they were all enthusiastically supportive, which, you know, praise God. Um, and when so you met just, with them, I, what did, yeah. uh, did you just say this is something that I'm looking to get started or how did you even present, you know, SBSC to them? Because I think we have a lot of team leaders who say they want to be able to talk to the pastors to get stuff started, but don't know what to do or to say or how to do it. So even if you could walk through that is when you're meeting with them, what exactly are you saying that you're doing? One of the things that they, the team leaders say is the pastor doesn't want to do more work and they think I'm bringing him work. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, the big concerns when they talk to a pastor. Okay, sure. I can address that. So I guess for one thing, basically the story I've just run through of just the training and the history, um, it helped me that it had been a diocesan training, which showed that it's a priority of our bishop, who's, mm-hmm. you know, technically their boss. So you can kind of, <laughs> that helps, <laughs> that helps. Um, but then of course the major, it's a priority of our true boss, you know, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you can kind of go there, but really, yeah, definitely easing their minds that this isn't adding something to their already over full plate is good. Um, I, I don't, I guess, and just praying before those meetings for one thing, I mean, obviously that's just a practical tip of just pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit to be a part of your conversation. But what I did was I requested the meetings via email and included links and an attachment explaining the mission of the organization so they weren't totally clueless coming in um, and just assured them, you know, I just want to start small. There's nothing you'll need to do. Um, is it really, I'm just looking for permission to um, to talk to some of your parishioners who are friends of mine who I think might be interested in doing this. Wonderful. And with the, so just sort of, you know, don't pitch it as, you know, this huge project, because really it's best to start small anyway, in my experience. That's one of the things we always encourage team leaders is that this is something that can, you know, grow and many people may want to be a part of it. But uh, especially when you're first getting started, finding the right places to evangelize, it's kind of easier uh, in one sense to just have a small group of people helping you get started. Yeah, then the stories start coming in. And then it's easier to grow gradually as the stories come in and they're affirmed in the fruit from it. And it's not as scary for a pastor. I had one pastor say, I don't want you to go out there. What if all these people start coming to our church? We aren't ready for them. (laughs) 
That's really mind. funny. What in the world? I mean, <laughs> I was a bit speechless there. I wasn't sure what to say to that. Um, if, I mean, if you can find at least one pastor in your area that is really on board, you know, that's helpful. You know, like some of our pastors have been not as enthusiastic, but they're not unsupportive. But it certainly does help to have at least one who's really in your corner. Um, so I would say try and build the relationships with your pastors if you don't already have them. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. It can be tough. It hasn't been tough for me. I've been ex- with my own pastor. I've been extremely blessed. That's um, so good. So, and you were party. just asking to be able to recruit people at their parish. Mm-hmm. So, did you talk after mass? Were you just in the back after mass, or how did that look to be able to recruit people from the parish? Well, I already kind of knew who I wanted to ask. Okay. So I just, I specifically, people that I already knew from other interactions, either through church or through school or whatever, I just contacted individually. Oh, wow. That's a good Um, way, an individual invitation, you know, when, at least when you're starting, because you kind of know, if you know the person from other work. Yeah. Were these people who attended the training with you? Um, let's see. Originally, yes. The strange thing was that three people, well, one of the people that attended the training with me was my pastor, but the, and he's very involved and has been and still is. <clears throat> but the other three people actually have, fought, one of them was on the team originally, and he's sort of not been very engaged. So for whatever reason, um, not really. It was people that I've known through... <clears throat> Gosh, what I mean, just my parish, or I don't know, you know, the mom connections, of course. Um, right, just networking in the Catholic uh, community. I mean, you have kids at Catholic schools, so and you right you know a lot um, of people. Yes, and then and really, it was only it was only it's like six of us to begin with. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, and now it's like twelve, twelve current, and then we have some that have sort of floated in and out, which is fine. Um, in particular, over the summer, it was a fun project with our seminarians, who we had visiting seminarians in our town, each of the three parishes um, had a visiting seminarian. So they all three of them got involved over the summer. Oh, that's and great. One of them, yeah, one of them is in Deb McManaman's archdiocese for seminary, I think. And like his, his semester project was was being on one of these teams there. So I've right. really heard was that him, but like, who was that? Um, <clears throat> shoot, John, I'm losing his last name, of course, yeah. because I'm on the spot, but um, yeah, great so guy. Was, I was going to say great kid, but. <laughs> <laughs> we do at Sacred Heart. So at Sacred Heart Major Seminary, where a lot of the, um, the seminarians from your, from your, from the diocese in Wisconsin, they come here to Sacred Heart in Detroit. And, uh, their second year in theology, they go out and they do an evangelization table at one of the universities. We're just starting that up again. So um, that's that's probably where it was. He was probably part of one of our teams out here. And uh, that's great that he brought it back to the diocese and he was able to to be on a team with you. That's cool. Molly, sure. So about, say our team ranges in age from 22 years old to, I want to say, well, Tim is probably 65. Um, wow. so we have, I mean, and then everything in between different stages of life, college to retired, That's great. Um, mom, single, married, uh, religious, 
you know, all kinds of different people, but with a common vision of sharing the gospel. That is a great part about this apostolate is it's not a generational thing. You know, it definitely reaches, we just talked about the youth beginning (laughs) with, with teens all the way to people who are retired, who also love doing this is we have a lot of different people, no matter what stage of your life you're in, like this is an apostolate that they can be a part of. Uh, And, uh, you know, you just mentioned you started with six. So just out of curiosity, like how was it starting, you know, in, in your town? Like where did you guys evangelize and, how did things go at the beginning? Sure. So once I got the pastor approval and contacted those original half dozen people, we set up an original meeting. And I also assured them that this wasn't going to be the kind of group where you had a lot of meetings and didn't do anything. That was, I think, <laughs> real, word for word. Just, we're going to have one meeting and then we're going to do things. <laughs> so, so that's what we did. Um, originally, you know, everyone needed some training because they hadn't been to the basic evangelization training. So I had to do the legwork of giving them their, um, you know, having them sign up as members on the website and then do some of the training on the website and sign their code of conduct forms. So I just kind of had paperwork things to do, not a lot, but, you know, enough to make them official and understand what we're doing here. Especially you want to make sure that people understand the non-confrontational aspect. Uh, Of course, handpicking your people helps with that piece off the bat, but um, just basically an orientation for them. So I provided everyone who's joined has been provided with an orientation and access to training before they hit the streets. That's Um, important. So I think that, right, right. right, I want them to be comfortable. So, I mean, it's always, I will say even for someone like me, who, like I said, I was all enthusiastic to hit the street. There's still a moment of discomfort of like, wow, is this person that I'm speaking to going to reject me, freak out, whatever. But you kind of get over that as time goes on. And you can at least share those stories with people who are just starting to give them some confidence that, you know, negative reactions are really rare. Most people, they might just say the, the worst reaction that I get really is people just saying, no, I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's a bit disappointing as that is. It's not really, you know, you're not in danger. It's not going to cause you any harm. So what we did was we just, we did that training piece and we chose a couple of sort of small scale things to just get us started, which was one was there was a rosary rally going on that October. So we participated in that in a public park in our city. Um, And then we also organized, so it was already getting, here in northern Wisconsin, uh, late October is already getting to be winter. So we did then do, um, we organized a caroling outing. So we actually collaborated with the music, some music ministry people in another park in our town that has like a Christmas light show. And we um, set up our tables and then the carolers were there sort of attracting people to come over and and see what we were up to. Um, So we had some people come by and um, talk with us. And in particular, I I specifically recall one woman, one of my teammates, Annette, who's been amazing. She spoke at length with and prayed with this one woman who approached her, whose husband was incarcerated. And, um, and I think that they really connected and, um, so just, I feel like even if you only talk to a couple of people on a given outing, that can really make an impact. Uh, oh, so that yeah, was one of our absolutely. first outings. 
Yeah. And then it was, it was, uh, let's see, over the winter, we planned another training because I think the team was still feeling like they wanted a lot of them that hadn't been to the basic evangelization training, wanted more in-person training. So since that time, there have been two trainings or two workshops that I've helped coordinate. One was in April of 2018. And then another, the other one was in September of 2018. And that was actually in Eau Claire, which is a city adjacent to us. Um, so we've been trying to expand there, help them get a team going there too. But those were the 10 Great Ways Talk. Mm-hmm. If you guys right. know that. So, so our regional... Yeah, our regional director came and gave the 10 Great Ways talk and then did a workshop of how to pray with people and how to share your story. That's great. So was that Deb that did that or uh, Denise? It was Deb McManaman. Yeah, she's, okay. she's, uh, she's amazing. I'd call her my sister from another mister. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She's amazing. And those are great, great uh, little workshops. So if you can't do a full BET, just t- talking about you know, sections of it, how to pray, how to do your testimony, how to proclaim the charisma, getting some of those chunks in. I also love the way you did kind of a slow build, you know, it's like get a couple people out there, couple people interested in, and do do a few live trainings where you have some stories from like Annette had that story. And then, uh, then bring, bring in some more training. It doesn't have to be everybody all at once. Right. And especially here, I'm, as maybe in many communities, people, most Catholics do not get evangelization. Is right. that fair? Am I being negative? I mean, it, it's, well, it, it's, it's, it's building. It's the awareness is growing. Praise God. It's just, it can be slow. And here, a lot of folks weren't really comfortable with that idea, you know, of sharing their faith. Um, do you so think it, they it felt, it felt, yeah. Do you think they think it's not necessary or it's not for them? It's the somebody else's job. When you say they don't get it, there, there's lots of dimensions. What, what do you, what do you think they're, what, the, what do you think they mean by that? Hmm, well, it depends. I think it depends on what stage of discipleship they are. That person is at. Um, I'd like to think that it's mostly just lack of awareness, that it hasn't been something that's been, they've been taught as they've, grown up in the church or when, you know, however long they've been in the church, it just hasn't been something that's really been preached on and taught. That's what's something that you're supposed to do. Or as Deb likes to mention in her uh, 10 great ways talk, there's this false idea out there of the fake quote from St. Francis of Assisi, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words, which is not true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, You know, I'm like, why don't we maybe listen to like actual scripture instead <laughs> of a fake quote? <laughs> um, but even but, within that you quote, know, I that's mean, right me. St. Francis was known for his powerful <laughs> preaching, so he obviously used words quite a bit. Right. So I think people, and it's partly our culture, which also says the same thing essentially um, your faith is a private matter. Yes. It's not meant to be shared. It's At offensive. least for Catholics. At least for Catholics, they believe that. Yeah. Many yeah. do. It's, I think it is changing, but. Yeah, I, it's, I think we've had a language in the church, especially if there's a Catholic who goes to daily mass or I say daily mass or even mass on a weekly basis, which is a small percentage of the 70 plus million Catholics in, in our country. 
is there's a talk of evangelization and a talk of a need to proclaim it, but at first there's a need to possess it. And I think you talked about the stage of discipleship and uh, we just spoke with Father Matthias on the podcast not too long ago. One of his quotes really, you know, hit home with me and says, you can't just go tell people to share what they don't have. And, uh, you know, we, we can't just tell people to go share their faith. So first to, to have that culture and to trust that the church is a place where you can actually really gain that relationship with Jesus Christ. And then from there, from that, that outpouring from that relationship, they, they'll be able to have, be able to go out and it won't be this burdensome command because uh, it's going to come from a place of love where, you know, I, I know the Lord and I know that he has a heart to bring everyone back to himself and, and to his church. And so I'm going to go, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go take part in that mission, that mission that he's called me to. This is not just his mission. It's my own because we're together because I'm in this relationship of love. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I think all evangelization is, is an outpouring of grace. Mm. So yeah, you cannot fake that. It's not even you. No. Yeah. And it's not <laughs> even, <laughs> it's not, even that I, you don't have to feel it. It's not, you know, it's not a feeling. I think people encounter the Lord and they, well, they'll go through periods of desolation. But I, I, one of the other things that you mentioned is our culture is like it, the Catholic church doesn't have a culture yet of evangelization. And th- there's two parts of that. One is internal discipleship of hel- helping people come to know and draw close to the Lord, you know, in uh, uh, in their daily lives and in, in the church. And then there's the, the bringing people into that. And I think that what our apostolate does is just help keeps the community flowing. There's no longer sterile waters. We're continuing to invite people into the church and uh, seeing great fruit from it. Cause we do have something good. We, uh, we do um, are offering people as what their hearts are made for, you know, and, you know, some people are going to be able to see it. As you mentioned, evangelization is a work of grace. So it's, uh, we talk about this all the time. Uh, no one's going to come to know Jesus or the church because of me. You know, it's God's going to be working in their own heart. And it's just so cool as an evangelist, uh, when you reach that point, to, you get to, you, you almost have a front seat to it. It's like you're there uh, and you, you're in the conversation, but it's not you uh, that's doing it. I don't, I don't feel like it's me. I feel like it's, I get to just see God working. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm almost talking about like this out-of-body experience, but in a way, (laughs) is that something that you experience when you're doing it? It's like you just get to see it and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that God is allowing me to be a part of this and to see what he's doing in this person in front of me. Yeah, I think you get to that point. I think it's I think it's a very much an in body experience, but <laughs> but, um, but what a, you yeah, know, and that, that raises an interesting point about like phys- physical touch in the place of uh, of praying with people. Um, but I definitely agree with you. One of the very first books that came into my hands when I was first getting, even before, might it was before we formed the team was. Um, one of my friends who was a focus missionary, Erin, who's one of my prayer warriors, she put me in touch with this book, The Soul of the Apostolate. Um, and it, the premise, which is not unique, I suppose, but is really set forth well in this book, is that, you again, like you said, you can't give what you don't have. And so your number one priority as an evangelist is your own personal holiness. Um so that you're in, you know, you're in a state of grace, you're attentive to your spiritual health, 
Um, you're, you're praying daily, you're going to confession, you know, at least monthly, hopefully. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's like, oh, well, that sounds like you're going through these spiritual drills. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you make a point to have spiritual friendships and hopefully a spiritual director, because if you don't attend to those things, you just can't share what you don't have. So I've, that was so important for me and so grace that I was, that fell into my lap early on because I am a very active person. I'd rather do, do, do than, than spend a lot of time, you know, planning and (laughs) these sorts of things. Um, but but so that was really helpful to me because I think I could have burnt myself out really easily by not attending to my own spiritual needs. And I've, as sort of a motherly figure of the team, I feel like I really try to mentor my team to the same um, philosophy that they also uh, ought to be attending to their own formation, you know, their spiritual and intellectual, pastoral, human formation in the church in their relationships with Christ, if they're going to be able to share that. I'd rather see them, you know, be spending a month at a, you know, if what they need is a month of retreat and they have to miss our outings to the park, I'm completely in favor of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was just speaking with another friend about this um, who talked about the the writings of St. Francis of Sales and recognizing that our call to holiness is going to look different depending on the vocation. You mentioned that you're a mother of four and I don't, I don't want someone to feel like they have to be an intense, you know, five hours a prayer day or even, a, you know, a holy hour day. I know a lot of people who are striving to be saints who make it a point to do a holy hour day. That's incredible. But I think the Lord's going to meet you where you are. So even if you're not there yet, we say you can't give what you don't have. What about 15 minutes? You know, give the Lord and just say, I'm going to set aside this 15 minutes to pray with the scriptures, to be with the Lord, to ask him what he wants from me, like at this time of day. And that's it. It doesn't have to be this big thing, uh, but it is important to for you to recognize in, that you do have your own spiritual life, that you're working with your pastor, your spiritual director, your community of faith is saying, I want this relationship with the Lord. How do I build that in my life and do what's going to work for you and your vocation in life? Uh, and, you know, allow that to be the source that your evangelization flows from. Because I know, I just didn't want to speak in these big general terms that it has to be this big, overwhelming thing uh, for someone to feel like they have to have this personal relationship with the Lord. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. Sure, I'm very, you know, I try to do daily Mass. Most of the time I make it, I've actually found one that's early and short. (laughs) 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 It's a little more conducive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of mercenary as that sounds. It's like we're in and out of there in 20 minutes. <laughs> but um, um, but <laughs> yeah. So it's if you need the rocket docket mass, I mean, <laughs> definitely. Even if you know, I'm not. Some nights I don't do an examine. I'm lucky to say, Lord, thank you for this day before my head hits the pillow. Um, <laughs> but that's it, but, you know. So use the opportunities you have. I mean, if you have if you have kids your time with your kids can be per time. I mean, um, one of our family marriage and family life coordinator in this diocese says that changing a diaper can be a prayer. <laughs> a prayer. <laughs> I'm not trying to go that far, but you fit prayer into your life. I mean, just don't neglect it entirely. And if you're in a period of desolation, you know, St. Ignatius says, make sure you don't cut back on your spiritual practices. Like that's the worst thing you can do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, right. So even if they aren't, you maybe need to restructure things, but don't, don't say, Oh, well, this isn't working. I'm not going to pray anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately you guys, um, my own story is that I, I didn't totally fall away from the church, but the beginning of a long period of being pretty far from the Lord began with not praying daily, mm-hmm. which then cascaded into not going to confession regularly, which then cascaded into not going to mass regularly. And pretty soon I had really no personal relationship with the Lord. Um, so the, when you start to neglect those things, they can cascade and, um, and really just, even if they don't cascade, if you end up kind of dry, you're just not going to be able to draw water from that well. Amen. What just came to my mind was the book, The Screwtape Letters, and how the devil's going to work. And those little wins build into a big win. The little wins that the devil has with, you know, just kind of the staying away from the Lord and recognizing that you survive the day without doing it. And, you know, you don't really need that. And then it just kind of built. Uh, and into something bigger where you weren't even in relationship with the Lord at all. I think um, one of my, uh, my ways to keep my uh, spiritual life on track is just through consecration to Mary. I mean, that helps so much because she's, you know, I'm a mom, she's a mom, you know, it helps me to bring, <laughs> yeah. it helps me to bring prayer into everything. Cause you know, everything you do as a mom is just, you're right there and you're right there and our ladies with you. You know, you have the little kitchen Mary in your kitchen. You got, and it's just part of your day. And that helps me a lot. Yeah. And Molly, yeah, you I mentioned totally, this is really totally important. Agree. Right. Sorry. So Molly, yeah, you mentioned this is actually really uh, important to you is, you know, you mentioned that you even found out you were baptized on the feast of Maximilian Colby. So how, how has Mary been a, a big influence for your own evangelization efforts? I I honestly think, you know, besides the Lord himself, she has been the number one influence, not only of my evangelization efforts, but of my entire spiritual life. Um, so, I mean, really, when I was getting back into prayer, and this was only five a five-minute-a-day prayer life that I had at the time, you know, and this was only two and a half years ago, you guys. So I was praying five minutes a day. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to confession. I haven't been to confession in a while. And I just happened to go to confession on um, the feast of the, what am I trying to say here? No, I'm going to screw it up. The feast of the Immaculate Conception. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, and so I, you know, went in and so I guess I don't need to get into the details, but that was a real grace day for me. And then shortly after I began my work as in evangelization, I stumbled across the um, 33 Days to Morning Glory and the St. Louis de Montfort, Montfort consecration opportunities. And so I, um, I actually made my consecration on the Feast of the Annunciation that year, which yes. was incredible. Um, so between sort of her guiding me without me knowing it, and then, you know, falling into again, this consecration, um, she's been with me ever since. And I think that, um, it's shown in my apostolate too, where on a couple of occasions, she's really come through for me in tangible ways. I mean, I think she comes through for me all the time, but, um, and for, for all of us, but she, um, so there was this big event we were going to do last summer. In fact, we did. It was the one fest Christian music festival in our town. 
and we have a pretty big venue for these things here. Um, but this was the first year, the inaugural year of this festival. And it's a lot of non-denominational Christians, a lot of non-Catholics who sometimes can be kind of hostile to Catholicism. And um, I thought, oh, maybe, you know, we had planned for this for months. I had actually helped the organizer of the event even bring it to our town. I had convinced our parish to, to have a presence there. And within a couple of weeks before the event, and I posted about this on my blog later, um, I all of a sudden just had this temptation to pull out of it. You know, why are we doing this? The Christians aren't going to like us. They're not going to listen to us anyway. I mean, kind of ridiculous in hindsight, but what kept me, what made me stay the course was my devotion to Mary, because I thought if we don't go, if we don't speak for Mary, who will? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And then at, so at the event, I mean, there were multiple opportunities to share our Marian devotion, but the main one was this one woman I spoke with and ended up praying with. She just had a whole myriad of personal issues and and problems that we discussed. Um, She had come up to our station and was looking at our materials and I ended up offering to pray with her. And in that prayer, I just had the inspiration within the prayer to offer the prayer up to Mary Undoer of Knots. And you guys may be familiar with that devotion. It's been popularized through Pope Francis. And she, after the prayer said, I've never heard of that before. And so I was able to share with her some of my own Marian devotion and share some materials with her. Um, she took a miraculous medal, a rosary. She took uh, the pamphlet of what is it, you know, what, what is Catholic devotion to Mary or something like that. And cause she wasn't Catholic and she had never been raised with any devotion to Mary, but she was, her heart was totally open to it, which is kind of atypical. Um, I think most, a lot of non-Catholic Christians are, uh, suspicious of right. our devotion to Mary. So that was just so graced. And I was the fact it was an affirmation of that, you know, that still small voice of if if you don't speak for her, who will? Um, wow. That is so true. And I love that, um, you know, the, the little bit of uh, the spiritual warfare of like, you know, pull out, pull out, don't go, don't go to this, you, you know, and, you know, pushing through on that, pushing through. And like, I always say, it's like, if you would have not gone, if you would have decided not to go, then that particular encounter you just told me about wouldn't have happened, right? The devil would have right. been dancing, happy for that one. But uh, you didn't give him the victory. You didn't give the devil the victory. You, you pushed through and um, you had this great encounter. Right. I feel like without her, though, I wouldn't have. You know, of myself, I wouldn't have. Of myself, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done any of this. Of course. Um, well, yeah, we rely and, and, on... Yeah, so, not not only Mary, but our friend, our friendships with our team, and and our network of spiritual friendships here, and then especially even I don't want to say more so, but very important to our our allies, you know, in the communion of saints, right? I mean, the church triumphant, like they won, like we should definitely seek their assistance, <laughs> um, and they they will come to our aid especially Mary, but like you mentioned, my, one of my patron saints is St. Maximilian Kolbe. Um, I think in particular, one of the patrons of St. Paul Evangelization Institute is Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah. And I've 
recently developed a stronger devotion to her. Um, so yeah, I mean, the things that can sometimes seem impractical to people like me are become even more important. Amen. I just, an image that actually comes from Father Mike Schmitz is uh, a person that's at the end of their race and people who are already finished, you know, circle back to help you, you know, keep you on pace to finish, to finish your own race. You're tired. You don't think you can do it, but, you know, having their encouragement and that's kind of what the saints are like, that they're, they're there, are they finished, but they want to circle back to help you run your own. And that's, Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's one of my favorite that. images, as I think, for intercession and prayers of all these people who, who did it, you know, and they're not just sitting there on the sidelines, and they're not like me that are just, like, collapsed on the ground. They're circling back. <laughs> Whenever exactly. I run half marathons, I'm, like, dying. <laughs> they're coming for you. They're, yeah, they're, oh, they're wait, like, you know so what, I, I always get angry at those people I not really though but who are circling back after races and just like helping me finish my own I and like only because I'm jealous that they're already done but when it comes to the powerful spiritual analogy I'm okay with it and it's actually really inspiring to think that that's what the saints are for us people will finish the race who want to come back to help us run our own yeah I mean do I guess my yeah my advice is don't do not go it alone it is totally unnecessary um can you tell him, tell me some of the things that you do with your team to keep your fellowship going, keep your, keep each other spiritually strong, encouraging each other, um, other than just, you said you, you do things more than having meetings, but how do you keep that, keep that camaraderie and that fellowship going? Sure. So I guess I should mention we have grown. Um, we've, I guess, about doubled in size. And part of that was after about a year um, of sort of operating a bit covertly within the parishes. Um, we actually kind of went public in the parishes and I've spoken in a couple of the parishes now. Um, I'd still like to speak in a couple more of them. And that resulted in some people coming out of the woodwork and wanting to join. So we have doubled in size. And so that was, um, so what I wanted to do was make sure that those people were also oriented and welcomed to the team. So what we've done is, we just, well, on our outings, we always make sure to pray first. Um, we definitely will stay afterward and we'll try and do something afterward, like maybe go get, go get a beer <laughs> or go get a pizza <laughs> or whatever, you know, just try yeah. and not just make it about we're meeting, we're talking to other people and we're not talking to each other. Um, and then I would say at least, so I send out emails at least a couple times a month updating on what's going on. And usually I'll include some kind of resource, like, hey, I ran across this in my reading. You guys might be interested in this. Um, and I, so the most recent get together we had was on January 1st. So we actually had a, we did mass and a brunch and we just shared some stories and just got together, you know, and enjoyed each other's company, um, had some laughs, you know, it was, it was good. And I also was able to then give them a little gift I had. Um, picked up some copies of the Joy of the Gospel and um, Curtis Martin's Made for More. Wow! And yeah. I, so I, I was able to share those. It's just I always kind of give them something to hang on to. I mean, as Catholics, we like having things to hang on to. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it helps. It helps to kind of keep your momentum going. So, um, oh, sure. so they they enjoyed that. So yeah, and then we just so we just sort of keep in touch those ways. Um, 
Yeah, celebrating you celebrating a Marian feast day that day. I was gonna say that was a Marian feast day. It was. <laughs> yes, it was. Mary Mary Mother which, of God. Which I I need to go back to confession because I don't think I ever knew as a kid that that was a day of obligation because my parents never took me. So it wasn't until like after college I was like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be going to mass on New Year's Day. <laughs> Is this new? Right. How long has this been happening for? <laughs> right. I mean, I was looking out for their mortal <laughs> their immortal souls. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure your team gets to mass on Holy Days of Obligation. <laughs> oh, that is so good. I want to join your team. Beers after evangelization, brunch opportunities after Marian feast days. You know, if it wasn't a polar vortex right now, I'd be up there. <laughs> you know, you mentioned well, that. You're always welcome, Brian. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Molly. That's great. Hey, could I do something quick? Sure. I want to give a shout out to my team. Oh, absolutely. Give them a shout out. Okay. Okay, so first, shout out to Father Justin, our major supporter, Father Burrish, another supporter, and then my teammates, Annette, Pamela Ann, Sean, Tim, Pam, Drew, Robin, Matt, Michael, Phyllis, Kurt, and Isaac, and then all of our prayer warriors, and I hope I didn't forget anybody. So thanks, guys. You're the best. Uh, Whoa. Thank you, all of you, for being on Molly's team and evangelizing and bringing... uh, the gospel to the to Wisconsin. That's that's, that's great. That's what great. Cool I'm, so, I'm glad that you you guys all get together and and are, have a chance. I think right after evangelizing, going out for a beer is so perfect because you just have a chance to decompress and share your stories, and that builds each other up. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So I I recommend it. Yeah, and we live in America, yeah, and there's like a hundred microbreweries within every five mile radius, so it gives you a chance to try. Well, <laughs> all Wisconsin the different is that are definitely an example. Yeah, we have Line and Kugels <laughs> here in Triple Falls. It's our big claim to fame. Um, but yeah, or I just read the Benedict Option, and that you could order from the monks of Norcia. They brew some good beers. I've heard. <laughs> have you guys heard of the this? Benedict Option? <laughs> that's that's um, so good. Yeah. I know, so anyway, you, you sounded like you're hesitant for a little bit. Like, you know, we actually go out for beer. I'm like, well, you know, if we have monks who are doing it, I'm pretty sure it's okay. <laughs> monks dedicating their lives to brewing incredible beer. <laughs> All for the good, embra- glory. Embrace it as a church. Absolutely. <laughs> Done in the right context. It, built, it does do a great job uh, to build community. Just to sit down and have great conversation, camaraderie with people. Yeah. Oh, it's been so good having you on today. Was there uh, anything else that we missed that you wanted to talk about? Um, I think one other thing, well, thanks. Yeah. One other thing would be um, that we've worked on with our pastors on having quote unquote, something to invite people to. So I think that's been a question maybe that some team leaders struggle with is even if they make a connection with someone out in public, you know, how do they follow up? Um, So I just wanted to recommend working with your pastors on that because a lot of them are interested in developing formation opportunities. And if you are there inviting more people in, all the better. So we have something that's been recently started this year that we call Catholic Connect. And it's Wednesday nights at a coffee shop where the priests get together and there's some fellowship and they do some catechesis with whichever adults show up. So we have little cards that if, you know, when appropriate, if we've spoken to someone, if we've prayed with someone and we want to have something to it, quote unquote, to invite them to, we invite them to connect. 
So we also have some other things. I mean, we have a women's group, men's group. There are other things besides Connect, but it's a great introductory. Non, you know, it's in a public place. It's not right. a church. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's so good. So, I mean, sometimes when I go out, it's just fun to invite people to parish festivals, like big, uh, fun events, you know, that aren't as intimidating. It's like, I know I just met you on the street. Are you ready to come to mass? It's like sometimes, <laughs> right? sometimes they not be, might not yeah. be ready for that invitation, but you know, let's, Hey, we, our church meets at the coffee shop, you know, you should come by and, and you know, people who are looking for a community who are open to learning more about their faith. I think they'll certainly be open to that. Has it, I mean, just have it, has it proven to be fruitful? Have you seen people from the street come to the coffee that connect before? Um, well, here's the funny thing. I don't attend it. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, well, the problem is we actually, actually I've delegated. I have delegated that. That um, is so good. Um, two of the, two of our team members attend every week. Okay. Um, wow. And, and we haven't really powered, this is a relatively new development. And so I haven't really powered with them on, you know, because the car, they're not, they may not be the one who handed out the card. Mm-hmm. They don't know if the person who walked in was from our, so, you know, we really, unless we put a tracking device on them, we really <laughs> don't know. Um, well, one thing, so vocationally, I guess I could give a little, a couple shout outs to moms or help helps is that so first of all saint gianna mola if you don't know who she is you ought to get to know her all you moms out there um the saint gianna beretta mola okay Mm. and then um you have to be attentive to your primary vocation one way that i've done that i i'm an active person and it's easy for me to over schedule myself so I've agreed with my husband that I will only be gone one evening out of the week unless there's some big extenuating circumstance. So I've chosen that to be Thursday night adoration and women's group, in wow. which means I can't go to connect on Wednesday night. But that's but so for that reason, fortunately, we're a team. You know, we have a couple of other members who love connect and have agreed to kind of be those eyes and ears. And that's why we're the body of Christ. <laughs> perfect that's so important there you go that's my little advice to those and anyone i mean anyone who's trying to balance primary vocation with this kind of work i'm i'm taking notes now molly because i am uh you know engaged as i mentioned to be married here in about three months and so just any congratulations thank you yeah any practical advice that you know i can receive this uh i i know it is a big temptation especially in ministry to feel like you have to be a part of everything and do everything and how uh, I think that's a very good point is you just have to be realistic with your time and what you can do um, and just do those things. So women's night and adoration, uh, that's that's a great thing to be a part of and to be able to delegate the Wednesday nights to other team team members. That's that's just great that someone will be there. Yeah. Beth, right. you have I mean, any... you try to do it, if you try to do everything yourself, you're really robbing other people of their chance to serve too. Um, they, they're so on the true. team because they want to be called to do things. <laughs> so, yeah. I, and I love the idea of the coffee shop, you know, it's like theology on tap, um, you know, in a public spot. It's a great thing. If you have people that can, are coming out, you know, your priest, your pastor, your, who, your DREs, whoever coming out and, and doing those, that, that is such a great shallow entry point for people to come. And the fact that you guys have it every week um, that's, I think that's going to build and really be a great doorway for people to come in. Um, 
So I, I, I love the idea and I love how you, you did spread it out through your team. That way nobody has to do everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. And my husband and again, and I, yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say again, from the um, perspective of building those relationships with pastors, um, this is where this would be a thing, you know, a pastor might be a little intimidated if you're like, well, you have to put on this thing every week. <laughs> Right. Um, so that doesn't have to be the pastors who facilitate. In our case, they actually came up with this whole scheme. They've replaced their their parish RCIA programs with this. Wow. So they've, I mean, it's really ingenious. Um, so anyone going through RCIA comes to, goes to connect. So they not only you know get the formation, the catechetical formation they need, but they're building relationships with people who are in similar sort of spiritual. A place in their spiritual path. So mm-hmm. they, that was really, the, I had nothing to do with it. Um, they had just formed it. They had formed it independently. And in talking with them, I was like, oh, this would be a great thing to advertise to our people that we meet. Mm-hmm. You know, so then we had the cards made and it was all very spirit led. I love it when things come together where you didn't really plan it that way. But trying to help your pastors consolidate some of those things or even make those suggestions you know drop hints whatever because they are busy so if they can come up with ways to reach more people more efficiently they're probably going to listen right and so many of them do have events and nobody comes to them but if they but you can team up with them to help invite people to their different events different speakers they have different programs you know that that's also it's it's we're all together in this we're all together in it Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love yeah, that. I've spoken, I've spoken at a parish where five people showed up. <laughs> I've spoken oh. at a parish oh, yeah. where spoken at a parish where 50 people showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best way, so there's another tip is if you're going to speak in a parish, probably the best is to have the pastor just have you give a five minute spiel at the end of the masses. Mm-hmm. That's what you're going to get the most people. If you try to do some big talk and you really haven't, the pastor really hasn't engaged people on wanting to participate, you know, nobody's going to show up. So, yeah, I mean, but of course I reached, you know, those five people heard my spiel. So I guess, okay. You kind of get up and dust yourself off, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure that can be disheartening, but sometimes even that more intimate setting makes it more possible to get to really get to know them feel, and they feel like they're known and able to answer more questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just people, just leaders, leaders do not be afraid to fail. Amen. That's a good, that's good advice. (laughs) Well, you're very inspirational, Molly. When I think of this wife and mother of, you know, wife and mother of four, uh, busy full-time worker, volunteering all over the place, but you still um, are very protective of your spiritual side, making sure that you, uh, you know, your one thing a week is, is, growing in spiritual and fellowship, growing your spirituality and growing in fellowship. I, it's just, you're very inspiring to me. I am, I'm so glad to be able to, uh, to hear all the great things that are going on out there with you and your team. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks Molly. Well, thank you. I mean, we couldn't do any of it without your organization and the work that you guys do behind the scenes. So thank you so much. Yeah. Especially Adam Janke who has five job titles making it happen. <laughs> uh, thanks. Thanks, Molly. Thanks Thank again. you, Adam. Oh, yeah, I should mention Adam. Adam also came and spoke at our parish, which oh, is cool. Good. I think that got some momentum going, so I should give him a little credit maybe. 
<laughs> all right. Yeah. Okay, well, I could talk all day. I'm sure we could, but thank you guys so much, and God bless. Yeah, thanks, Molly. Beth, do you want to sign us off? Sure. Um, Molly, just one more example of what happens when we all work together to train, equip, and mobilize ordinary Catholics to do the extraordinary work of evangelization in order to save souls. God bless.